Welcome. Like... God damn it, Tim. All right. That is, you know, that's a good way to start it. Like a, <laughs> a little bit of lightness to, to get into it. All right. We'll leave that. We're leaving that. Yeah. Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. And this week, it's You're Dead. Now that the fun is over, welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. My name is Tim, his name is David, Mm -hmm. and we are here, like we're here every week, to talk about an Alkaline Trio song. Uh, This is a band that we love dearly. We love to have a lot of fun when we talk about this band. We love to talk about a lot of good memories that we have with this band we love to uh jokingly make fun of the things we don't like uh that is also a thing we do sometimes this week's gonna be none of that just fyi well we might get like a little bit of of fun like that we're not expecting in there but this is a song that we both actually talked about at the beginning of doing this show yeah when we scheduled a format of all right we're doing random songs each week and I think you said to me, like, your dead's going to come up, and I got a story for that one, and I said, I got one too. And and I will admit, I, I felt for a long time that my relationship to the song has kind of existed in a vacuum, where I don't know a lot of people who necessarily ride for this song in the same way I do, but the people I know who... Uh, share in in the experiences that kind of uh inform you loving the song all feel really strongly about it and it's interesting to um have learned that over time because this is i've i've seen them play this song once yeah ever i um you know sonically um within the the record this isn't my favorite song this isn't something that i really clung to um ever and then it became very much a part of my life um and we'll get into that but before yes. we get into both of our stories um you know we just want to put it out there um that i know that people tend to start their days off with this podcast maybe mm-hmm. it's put on in a lighthearted fashion and we just want to let everybody know that like we're going to get heavy here. We're going to talk about some really upsetting stuff. Yes. And we just want to let you know that if you want to wait for a better time, you're more than welcome to do that. If- yeah, yeah. Um, There's been a couple times heavy stuff's come up in other episodes where I don't think we necessarily saw it going that way at the start. And it's kind of just built to that. This one's not going to be that. We're just going to kind of dive right in. So, yeah, if you're not feeling like you want to have maybe a downer morning or something or you're just not in the right headspace, feel free to put this one off until you uh, do feel ready. Or, you know, maybe that day never comes and you don't hear it. Whatever. We love you all the same. We love you all the same, and and we're going to go ahead and get to it. Um, So, David, why don't you go ahead and, and start and just let us know what's going on. All right. Um. So I've alluded to this before, I believe, but when I was a kid growing up, like I had a couple friends who I was getting into music with, like there weren't a lot of like uh, quote unquote punks or whatever, you know, in my middle school. And it was me and like two other 
kids, my friend Ramundo, my friend Matt, and we were like basically the only ones who were like kind of getting into other stuff and would like occasionally go to like get our parents or like older siblings to take us to concerts or something. So like that was kind of my like tightest crew of friends, right? Because we were all kind of getting a little older and discovering that we like this stuff beyond just the radio stuff, right? Yeah. So um, Alkaline Trio was the band that I kind of found and then like showed to them and we kind of all got into them and you know like it was one of those things where I remember all of us like getting from here to infirmary when it came out right because that was uh 2001 I think like April or something so like we all got it and then like when like summer came that was like our record you know, like that's mm-hmm. just like all we listen to, like we'd go skateboarding, we'd do all this shit like that. You know, that was like our soundtrack because that was like the new one. And compared to the other two, like a little more accessible, a little more fun in certain respects. Um, so that was just kind of like and it was also like the record that allowed us to kind of get like our other friends into them a little bit. Yeah. You know, maybe I'll catch fire was not as good for that. Believe it or not. Right. But yeah, you, you play stupid kid for someone, you play private eye for someone. They're gonna, they're gonna like it if they like, you know, rock music. Yeah. And it was also becoming that moment where like, it felt like our band, but we were kind of like championing them a little more, like seeing like the stupid kid video is exciting. Right. You know, like, getting to like see this band kind of start to kind of crack through it felt like it felt like a win for us right because like mm-hmm. we were into the more the, the bigger stuff your green days and like 182s and shit like so like right it's like oh it would be so cool if like they were like that um which you know and then we're making moves they're yeah. on their way up um so like we were all pretty tied into it pretty closely and i remember because I think it was that summer was the year when Blink-182 took them on tour. Uh, mm-hmm. It was them, Newfound Glory, and, and Alkaline Trio, which, like, me and Matt went to and were, like, super stoked. Uh, like, Alkaline Trio playing at, like, 5 p.m. at this amphitheater to right. almost no one. And we're, like, you know, fucking rows and rows and rows and rows back. We're, like, so stoked and so into it. And like, you can't that was really sing cool. too loud because you can't, and then you won't be able to hear the music because the sound is so garbage. And, yeah, and like one of my favorite memories of that was like earlier that day, me and Matt were like out skateboarding, and like he fell and like scraped up his arm, and then before uh, Alkaline Trio wanted to nose over tail, Skipa said something. He's like, "This song is about riding your skateboard real fast and falling down, and getting hurt. It's called Nose Over Tail." And you know, it's me. You know, and it's just one of those things when you're like a kid and you're kind of like, oh, it's so funny. Like, yeah. you feel like you're you're seeing like a version of yourself up on the stage, right? Mm-hmm. So, we all went to the same school, and then we, at the end of that summer, Matt transferred schools. There was like this weird thing. I went to like a Catholic school, um, in part because like the public schools in my where I grew up are not great, mm-hmm. and that's you know uh no secret so like basically if you wanted to get a good education you had to go private which is a fucked up thing for a lot of yeah yeah a lot of things but there's no money yeah it's mm-hmm. germane to the story and also like you know uh the parents are then paying a lot for it so matt's mom had a she was very active with the school like helped put on a lot of events da, 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 and then had a falling out with the principal of the school so they decided to transfer him mm. Um, so he's at a new school. I think we're in like sixth grade. 
yeah, sixth grade. So it's like the uh, fall of 2011, 2011, 2012 school year. So, you know, I'm still seeing him like, you know, we're still hanging out, but like we aren't seeing each other every day anymore, you know, and, that, and that's different. And so it's like the next year, it's uh, it's early, tw- uh, sorry, 2002, not 2012. Oh. <laughs> uh, you get used to just the 20. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, so his birthday was in March and I remember like we'd been hanging out and I... Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned before, my parents were divorced before, like, I was a year old. So my dad had custody on Wednesdays and Saturdays and then, like, every other weekend. Uh So it was a Wednesday. And it was a Wednesday in March of 2002. And I went over to my dad's house after school. He lived um, in the funeral home, like, half a block down from school. So I got home or got to his place. And I was just like, oh, I, like, want to call Matt because his birthday party was going to be that Saturday. And I don't know. I just, like... I just wanted to talk to my friend. It was like a pretty simple thing to do, right? So like I am like, oh, I'm going to call Matt. And my dad's like, oh, just like call when you get home. Call like when he took me to my mom's that night. And I was like, oh, no, I just I just kind of want to talk to him. And he's like, oh, just, you know, call him, call him when you get home tonight. And I was like, okay. So I didn't. Mm-hmm. And then we went over to my stepmom's house. And her and I never really got along. She didn't like me very much. Um, she was not living with your dad yet. So they only got married within the past couple of years. Okay. The the well, let's put it all out there. He, my dad was cheating my mom with this woman. Okay. Um, she had two older sons, probably about six, seven years older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, she did not like me very much. Uh, but we would always go over to her place. Like they were, it basically effectively common law married they were together every day yeah my dad as i've alluded to before alcoholic she was a big drinker they would just you know get drunk i would like sit around and not really do much anything and then my dad would take me home that was the normal order of operations yeah um one of the stepbrothers i actually got along with pretty well um and still am in contact with somewhat frequently and is like otherwise a good person (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and knows the score you know, maybe didn't realize it as much as it was happening, but, you know, hindsight being what it is. Anyway, so I'm over there and it's around dinner time and like my dad is, you know, works in a funeral home. Like he gets a lot of calls about deaths, you know, either from a family or, you know, like getting a call was not necessarily like out of question uh-huh. for him to like kind of go into serious work mode a little bit, Yeah, yeah. you know, because it's something that happens all hours of the day like and a lot of times when i was with him if he got a call like i would have to go with him and it was just what happened mm-hmm. so like i was kind of used to it i didn't think anything of it but i see like he gets a call takes it in the other room not uncommon we have dinner it's kind of a weird vibe not thinking anything of it and then it's after dinner it's probably about like an hour ish until you know He's going to drive me back to my mom's and we're sitting on the couch, he's watching TV. And then like, he like mutes the volume and turns to me and he's like, I need to tell you something. And I'm like, okay. And I assumed I was just in trouble because right. we didn't get along. And this, there were plenty of things where like <clears throat> me getting more into music, me like starting to dress a certain way, me starting to like vocally become interested in 
you know, uh, counterculture stuff or politics or any of this, like, you know, we had a lot of friction a lot of times. So I was like, okay, fuck. And he's like, uh, there was an accident. Matt is dead. That was it. That was all he said. This is how it was framed to me. I did not process that great. It was literally like, just like immediate tears, like fell on the floor, crying, sobbing. Right. And then like went in the other room and just kind of was by myself until he took me home more or less. It was, it was a very cold process. Um, I didn't immediately know what happened. And then it was explained to me that, uh, Matt's dad was a police officer in East Chicago. Matt went home. He had been getting bullied at school. I didn't know this. Nobody, new school. The yeah. new school. Nobody knew this. He he never there was never a hint. We would talk to him about it and he would he would say everything was fine. He would like make it sound like he was, you know, having all these friends. Da, 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 da. That was not the case. Uh he was getting harassed pretty badly. And so I guess he went home. He had written a note that was essentially like, you know, one of those types of things that was like uh I don't know how to phrase it because I never read it, but the, the, the tenor of it was essentially like, this will show them, you know, it was, it was more of a, uh, getting back at them type of thing. And I think he was in a very dark place, obviously, but it wasn't, it was just, you know, the circumstance and, uh, he got home from school. He was the only one there. He went down in the basement, found his dad's gun. That is what it is. Um, so Mm -hmm. not only, was it that like my given the nature of what it was with my parents being divorced me living with my mom like I was really close with a lot of my friends like I was had friends that would stay at my place every weekend or I was at theirs you know when I wasn't with my dad like we were really really tight so like Matt or Mundo like my friend Mark my stepbrothers now who I knew when I was kids and now my stepbrothers like we were all very tight and very close and together all the time and these are are these stepbrothers connected through your mom or? through my mom okay um yeah, yeah, yeah. the the way this happened was my mom was divorced i knew these kids since like preschool the older one and i were in the same grade gotcha their dad got divorced years later married my mom and now we're a family yeah it's convenient in that sense uh-huh. um but so like i don't know like i didn't grow up really with like a stable foundation so my friends and their families like were always super welcoming to me and vice versa like my mom was so close with matt's parents i remember one halloween uh my mom and matt's mom taking us all out to like egg and teepee some dude's house like Uh that like we were just like it was we were all very close so my dad apparently before taking me home and before telling me had called my mom and i remember this part of it because she tells it essentially as like he called her and was like are you sitting down and she's like what's happened to david she's like no no like he's fine and then told her Uh so when i came home like i just remember that drive being in silence home and I didn't feel Back to your mom's house. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't feel okay until I saw her. Right. You know? So like I dealt with death before, clearly. You know, um uh-huh. it was not alien to me, it was not foreign to me. But this was the first time it was like 
super real. Yeah, this is the first time that there's grief involved. Well, and especially like not someone who's an adult, you know, like a peer, a friend of mine. Yeah. You know, literally is like, I think it was two days before he's going to turn 12 years old. Like, you know, it's, it's a brutal thing. Right. And someone, someone who's like, yeah, like so young and like was so close with and had been, we'd gone to school together up until then. And like, it was, it was so difficult for so many reasons. And like, I was already deeply into music and I just remember eventually at one point putting on this record because it was like putting on from here to infirmary because it was, it was like this thing that made me feel good. Right. Right. And I knew the songs that I knew the lyrics, but I just remember putting it on one day shortly thereafter and like your dad coming up and it was just like, Oh, there is a you attached to this now for the first time. Yes. And what I didn't realize, like though I always was drawn to Alkaline Trio because of the fact that they dealt with like darker material and some of the stuff, I didn't really understand what that loss felt like until I was in it. Yeah. And I think there was, I, I remember the, the literally the day after Matt died, we all went to school that day and two people knew me and my friend, Bobby, who is now my stepbrother. Yeah. And we're all waiting to go inside and he and I see each other. We're the two that know. And we're just like, fuck. Like, yeah. Like we saw all our friends and we're like, we have to tell these people. And these people all grew up with him too. Yeah. You know, like we all knew each other. Um, and I remember we were like, we're at our lockers and we both started crying. Like, it was just like we were very emotional. It was less than 12 hours old, and we we're at school the next day. Yeah. And I remember uh, the sixth grade teacher calling me up in front of the class and telling everyone. Like, I was the person who told what? the classroom that Matt was dead. And that's an insane. And now, in hindsight, yeah. that's an insane thing to make a child do. Right. Fucking insane. Yeah. And. That's like newsworthy. Yeah, insane. it's and it's. I mean, it's a testament to the fact that in 2002, no one knew what the fuck to do with any of this shit. Right, and like you know, bullying then compared to now, it's so different. In the yeah, way that they're, you know, ideally keeping much much better track of things. Yeah, and like there there was a whole heap of issues as a result of that. Right, but like. You know, going through that, it was one of those things where it's like, I always, the the song Your Dad always reminds me of him because hearing that song for the first time really opened up the fact that I was like, I'm not alone. Yeah. Like the parents didn't really know what to do. Like my mom was great through it and supportive, but I think there was part of me that didn't want to, I was afraid to talk to her about it because I didn't want to scare her. Yeah. And prior to this, like, I was... she's on watch now. No, totally. And, like, she's trying to be there for the parents and, the, you know, like, it's just, it's tough. It's yeah. a tough situation for a lot of people. And it's, like, to her, she was used to seeing this kid once a week at minimum. Like, uh, he was part of yeah. the family, sort of, you know? Like, so, like, I I think there were a lot of people going through it. But, like, what what made it really difficult was, like, because of the bad relationship I had with my dad and my stepmom and like one of the stepbrothers, like I'd be lying if I said those thoughts hadn't come into my head. Right. You know, like there were definitely 
periods where like things were really dark and really painful and there was abuse and there was all this shit where that didn't seem like the attractive way out to me, mm-hmm. you know, because I was young and I didn't know any better. And being surrounded by death, I think made me, it's always given me a different perspective than a lot of people. But I think at the time it was like, well, this is just, this is it forever. Yeah. You know, I'm 11, I'm 11, 12 years old. I don't see life changing. Yeah. You know, this is just my existence. Mm-hmm. And as soon as Matt died, that went away. Yeah. Completely. Mm-hmm. Knowing how I felt seeing my friends, seeing my mom, seeing the people I cared about react that way, it just immediately became a, I will never do that. Yeah. And I often feel very, um, it feels very weird to talk about, but like, I wish my friend was still alive every day. Yeah. But if he was, maybe I wouldn't be, is the reality of the matter. Right. Um, you were able to fake and like put that together and it's not, um, you're obviously not like grateful for it, no. but you, but like there's a, there's a sense of like, if this didn't happen, like who knows? And there was no longer, it was no longer a concept. Yeah. This was no longer yeah. a conceptual mm-hmm. theoretical thing of like relieving pain. Yeah. Because I saw how God you were so young. Deep that pain ran. Yeah. And so like the next year of my life, like because I couldn't talk about it to anyone, I just developed like really bad O C D. Because uh-huh. I needed control. Right. I needed something that I could control. So it was like if I touch something, I'd have to touch it with every finger, I would have to flip switch like things just had to be okay. Yeah. I had to make them okay in my head. I had to have control of something. Mm-hmm. And throughout all of that, like I was still seeking music as a refuge and, and the song was one that I couldn't listen to very often. I could only listen to it when I needed to have that type of feeling of like someone else out there understands this yeah, and gets it. And like, it, it's so, so goofy, but like even just like the local references of like O'Hare or whatever, Dude, yeah, like that's important. You know, it made me feel like this isn't in, in the same way that my, uh, thoughts about um, suicide and self-harm are not no longer just like a theory. Yeah. No longer things like this is what grief is and this is what loss is. And there was always something about it where like this record, some of the songs on the prior Alkaline Trio records and then Forever and Counting by Hot Water Music, which deals very directly with a friend of theirs committing suicide. Those were, that was it for me. Yeah. Those records were like, these are people who get it. These are people who are going through what I'm going through and they'll write the song and then something, there's something after that that feels hopeful. Yeah. There's, there's not just the wallowing and the pain there is that's okay, but there's also this other side and there's also this beauty and there's also this fun and there's also this reason to be alive. And those records really got me through that year. And and eventually like I didn't go to therapy. I didn't do any of that in part because, you know, I was scared to say I wanted to scared to say I needed it. Yeah. But I like broke myself of my OCD by like challenging myself of like I would touch something and I would feel so terrible and I would not allow myself to to make myself feel okay. Wow. And I would just sit there for and it took a couple months of just like purely scrutinizing myself until I was like, I am okay. Wow. Like I don't need this. And that's like, a, that's amazing to me because like, you know, I think that 
it's so easy to like be really down on yourself in that moment mm -hmm. of like you know why do you have to touch this again you you, you psycho mm -hmm. you you head case like yeah it's really easy to just take that and internalize it but yep. you're able to to talk yourself through it like in a nurturing way yeah and I, it, it took that time because i it was when i started to it all started to make sense to me and i started to feel okay again yeah and i feel very um you know this is i've watched other people i know commit suicide not watch but like i've gone through it more times since then a couple other people quite young you know 15 years old and like teenagers and it's never any easier. Mm -hmm. And every time it breaks my heart because it's like, I know what that felt like to go through. And I'm watching other people go through it. And I know how heavy this is. And I know how, just how impossible it can feel to navigate. I mean, especially if, because there's so much, there's guilt that happens. There's mm -hmm. not knowing how to understand and like trying to get there. Yes. And if you, if you only understand it in like sort of a, an ethereal type of way, or, you, you know, you, you, you see it happen on TV or something like that. You process, you have to make sense of it in mm -hmm. your own way. And I feel like the, the logical steps that people go through, they all make sense and they're all like learned in this sort of like way that we've all absorbed, yes. but never being in that spot you're you're not going to be able to get as much out of it as as you really like need to to fully understand it. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is like what really not pushed that sorry, not that anybody could ever understand no, no, somebody's no. pain, right? You know, yeah. and like that's the thing is like part of it was like I was always into a lot of different stuff, but th this was the period where I was like music is the only thing I give a fuck about. Yeah. You know. Mm -hmm. It's the only thing where I felt like I was not alone. It was the only thing I felt like was giving me any type of it was just a refuge. Yeah. It was everything I needed. And it's the reason that for long parts of my life, like Alkaline Trio and Hot Water Music were like the bands that I cared most about because of that. And because they were the bands I was sharing with my friend who wasn't gone. So when I was listening to those records, I didn't feel alone yeah. in, in like a very honest way. The reason the first tattoos I got were of those bands logos were not so much my love of that band, but like my memory of what they meant to me and what my friend meant to me. Yeah. That's why they're there. Like as much as like it does open up people to be like, oh, hot water music. It's like, yeah, I get yeah, it. But like yeah. you don't really know what this is about. Right. And I don't need to tell everybody every time. But like I needed those records when I was 12 years old. Yeah. And I got those logos put on my arm when I was 17 years old. Mm -hmm. Because that was still to this day like those records or songs when I hear them. I need to be in the place with it. Yeah. I can't just put it on. And similarly, Definitely. like the, the only time I've seen Alkaline Trio play your dead live was when they did the past live shows. Um, and going into that, I knew that was going to be an emotional experience for me, but it was in a way that I didn't expect. And the reason for that is, uh, the band I play in, which we don't really talk about much, we recorded like our like EP that day, like eight hours, whole day, in and yeah. out, done. Mm -hmm. The the guy who was playing drums for us at the time used the snare that Mike Flumley used on From Here to Infirmary. Wow. 
And then I, I, Ryan and I drove to the Metro and watched them play that record. Yeah. And when that song came up, I was like kind of dreading it and kind of nervous. Um, and it did mean a lot to me, but it was this fact that like, it, it took on a different meaning. When I hear that song now, I still think about Matt. I still think about that pain, but I'm so thankful that he was in my life. I'm so thankful that we got to share everything. And, and as much as that pain is not what it, what it was 17 years ago, um, I still feel it. And I'm still thankful every single day that I got to know him. And I'm thankful that I know that without him, I wouldn't be here in a weird way. Yeah. And that sounds fucked up to say, and I know it is, but like, that was the truth. Because I mean, when you're that young, you mm-hmm. don't. I was suffering privately. Yeah. So was he. We didn't know that. Neither of us knew that. And after that, I stopped suffering privately. I, within a few years, with two or three years later, I was like, I'm not going to see my dad anymore. Yeah. He's not a part of my life. Can I ask you, um, why didn't he want you to call Matt? I don't know. He... He was always very controlling, uh-huh. and I think there there was this weird thing where if I wanted to do that, it was taking away his time with me. Not that we ever spent meaningful time together. Right. But I, it was just a control thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously there was a big part of that year that followed where it's like, if I had been able to call him, maybe I would have talked to him before he did this. Yeah. Maybe I could have caught him. It's really, really easy to think that. Yeah. And, like given the timing of events like it's not outside the realm of possibility but i had to let that go yeah you know yeah and that's I, really important and i don't blame my dad for that it's not his fault he was an asshole in the same way he always was yeah yeah it's it's like you prevented me from doing this hugely important thing but you prevented like the same thing hundreds of other times just because you're a dick yeah so it was like it was never necessarily like and also like fuck him he doesn't get any type of control over your life like that and that was the thing is is realizing that this person who uh, on paper should love me and care about me and does not yeah uh it became so easy for me to then realize like i i wish my friend would have been able to have had anyone who would help push him to being like no fuck this like you don't need these people you don't need to listen to these people and it's why we've talked about this before why i'm so good at dealing with criticism because i don't give a fuck what anyone says about me yeah it has no bearing on my life yeah i've already went through it do not care yeah i've already i've cut off family members who disagree with the way i'm living my life or or want to control me um no one can say anything to me that can hurt me because I've already been through it. I've already done this dance and, uh, you know, maybe that's not the healthiest thing, but it's like, it hardened me in a way that I, it shaped me forever. Yeah. And when this song came up on our shuffle, I sat there and listened to it. And like, I still feel everything from those experiences. I still have those memories as strong as I did almost two decades ago now, you know, it all still means as much to me as it did. But like, I, I love my friend. I miss my friend, but I'm thankful for the fact that it allowed me 
to become who I am. Yeah. And it's a weird thing to talk about and it's a messy thing to talk about. I wish he was still here, but he gave me more than he would have known. Mm -hmm. And like your survival of all of that trauma that you're living, like that's the best thing that you can do with it is to just like live and to understand how to continue. And that's, that's, you can't change how you got there. Yeah. And I, I wish it was different. Yeah. I wish we could have done it together. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's why anytime I am struggling now or anytime I have hit a road bump where I've really been in it, I've just immediately been like, I'm going to therapy. And I'm vocal about it. And yeah. I talk to my mom about it. And I talk to the people close to me about it. Because I don't want to hide from it. And I don't want anyone I know to hide from it. I've, yeah. I've told so many friends who I know have had bad experiences with it or, or feel that kind of internalized shame that our society is slowly shifting away from, but I still think is very present, that I am always here to talk about it. I have talked to so many friends who have been, who have said some things that have been very troubling, and I've stayed on the phone with them until they felt okay. Yeah. And I would do that for anybody. I wish someone had been there to do it for Matt, but that was what it was. And those are the facts as I lived them. Yeah. And uh, that's my story. Yeah. Um, I think that it's, oh, you're so young. Um, hearing, you know, when it's to the extent that like, you know, your mother's used to seeing this person once a week. Yeah. Um, it's a lot to take in at an age like that. It's a lot for, for a loving and supportive parent to take in. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that you came away with the perspective that you have. I'm really glad that you came away um, understanding where your love was coming from. Mm-hmm. Because I think that it's a natural thing when you're not getting love from someone who you think you should be getting it from to try even yes. harder. And yeah. you'll just get let down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that in relation to the topic at hand, when you are able to come away with something like that and then have all of those feelings put into something that you can go to when you need to experience it. Mm -hmm. And when you, um, you are kind of, when it comes up and shuffle, you're able to be like, I can talk about this and I can talk about all of the bad and now all of the good. Yeah. And that shit's important. Um, and I think, We'll probably touch on this again, but I think, you know, also, like, all of you out there, like, there are always options. Mm -hmm. There are always people to talk to. Yes. And it's important to keep your brain cycling, keeping the good juices flowing, whether it's talking to somebody professionally. Mm -hmm. I 
love my therapist. I've had so much. I had a great one who mm-hmm. I've gone to drop into like once a year yeah. and she's still the best. And if you don't, if you go to see someone and it doesn't feel right, look for someone else. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. And there's always, there's always people in your life and, and it, it's tough when you have to, when you put it onto somebody else, because it would be so nice if we had a way of making sure that everyone was okay yeah. in a way that didn't involve someone who's suffering so much to have to take the step to say something. But that's the score as far as as far as we live right now. That's the only way. Yeah, I mean, the line I use whenever people uh, are going through something and they're like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to be a burden. I'm like, that's not being a burden. Mm -hmm. Making me worry is a burden. You not telling me is the burden. Absolutely. You can talk to me about the same thing Mm -hmm. every day for a year and I'll talk about it. Yeah. That's not the problem. Yeah. Well, um, so Kyle... My friend Kyle taught me how to smoke cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a little bit of this planned in my head, but for sure that's where it starts is me in a parking lot being like, hey, can I have one of those? Uh-huh. How do you do it? Kyle was a year younger than me. How old were you? I was a freshman in high school going into my sophomore year. Mm. He was a f- he was um my middle school friend's younger brother, but he was I guess I met him before because she had her 8th grade graduation party and he had a jaw surgery where he had one of those like Oh my god. crown things. Like halo thing, yeah. And he's standing outside um of the party that's at at his house and he's in eighth grade and he's smoking a cigarette with a halo thing and it's like who is this fucking weird brother that you have here kelsey and within a year i'm like dude this weird kid seems like he's the best and he was i mean that's a that's a very like self-assured move mm-hmm. he was um by it just in all senses like the the weirdest of my friend group he was the weirdest of like the different friend groups that he he was just like he was very he very easily moved around within different like uh sub groups of weirdos because he was weird enough for everybody and he was so affable and sweet and funny and such a goofball Mm. and he has he had this real approachability to him that i clung to immediately i felt like i was talking to him about things that i wasn't comfortable talking to people that i'd known for a longer time Mm -hmm. about um you know i'm 15 years old and i got a crush on a guy on my hockey team yeah and i'm like what the fuck what am i gonna do about that like what does this mean Mm -hmm. and hanging out with kyle and just having this sense of like you're gonna get this yeah right and 
and he was like so open and cool and talked about it. And he's like, yeah, I got the, I got that shit too. And you know, I don't think it has to mean anything. Mm-hmm. I made out with a couple dudes. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it means I'm bi or gay or sure. like whatever. Like it's, it's okay. You mm-hmm. can, you can pursue it if you want. You don't have to. Um, but as we got into high school, um, he kind of had these states of just, I guess, sort of like manic type of depressive episodes. He would sure um, disappear, kind of. He wouldn't hang out with us for a while, and then he'd be hanging out with, like, other kids, and then we'd find out, like, you know, my friend Nick was always, like, kind of an older brother to him he was a few years older than him and nick would kind of come in and like bring him out because kyle was somewhere like suffering because Mm -hmm. he didn't know how to like talk about it and speak about it and um his parents were so great so loving all he and and his two sisters were adopted um he was from uh korea and like through an adoption agency his parents like adopted three korean kids and they were wonderful wonderful people but kyle was kind of a he was kind of a goofy weird guy Mm -hmm. he was into arty stuff he would get fucking sad yeah and we you know a couple times in high school where you know kyle went into impatient a couple times because he you know was either suicidal or he attempted suicide and you know we tried as best as we could to be supportive we tried to be open to the fact that you know just knowing somebody and understanding that you can't squeeze too hard yeah yeah yeah. you just got to be there when they're ready for you Mm -hmm. and i i guess he had like just you know he, he like didn't graduate high school didn't really care to but i remember he started he took some summer classes at columbia yeah um and my girlfriend at the time went with him and his family to this thing where they um they had like an open day of like sharing for the summer program so Uh all of the parents came in and we got to listen to the song that he composed all the parts to and performed Mm. in his one class and this animated uh short that he did that was you know so fucking funny he's a really talented artist and um and he had this really funny like 30 second bit and then we went to his creative writing class Mm -hmm. where he told a story about getting kicked out of a show at the Metro. Uh-huh. Coheed and Cambria, I think. Maybe AFI. And um, two very falsetto bands. So yeah. For him. He's very, very drunk, very young, and he ends up in a position where he is basically told by someone that he has to have sex with a sex worker. And he's like, I don't want to do that. And he's like, do it. And 
so he tells the story of being partially blacked out having sex with a sex worker in a porta potty and then exiting and the guy taking all of his money and whoa i'm sitting there and i'm like what's up kyle's family yeah jesus and and it was just like i'm like why are you reading this and then we're all on the train together back his family is not talking to him and his sister's like i know that that story is true you didn't just make it up and he's like uh and i was just like well i thought that the video was really good and the uh the music piece was great Mm -hmm. and you know maybe this wasn't uh your finest hour at the end but i thought it was great to see kyle uh back in school and and doing uh good productive work and his mom kind of looked at me like yeah you're right but fucking shut up (laughs) yeah you're like this is not the conversation i was hoping to have and then we finally like go out to get coffee and i'm like kyle what the fuck why did you read that he's like my creative writing teacher made me i'm like no you should have learned your lesson about being made to do things you don't want to do yeah good (laughs) lord I understand why, um, like a teacher would look at <clears throat> look at that and be like, "Wow, this is really great work. This is really powerful. You should do it." You really shouldn't force a kid into that story. That should be something they they yeah. uh, meet on their own. Terms. It's like but, it's like, you know, yo, I know that five easy pieces is like a thing right now. Yeah, but like, Jesus even... Christ! But um, you know, he and I kind of we went different ways he moved to the city right after uh he would have been done with high school i went to college but like you know see each other a few times a year Mm -hmm. always good yeah and i um i remember him telling me once that he really wanted to get a tattoo of winnie the pooh and i was like i was like why do you want to do that he's like the best those drawings are all so great mm-hmm. and then my second tattoo was Winnie the Pooh and Piglet yeah walking and just for the sole purpose of next time I see him being like yo dude check it out and he's like oh that was my move mm-hmm. yeah yeah but you know I remember writing him a song or writing a song that was kind of like about everything but part of it was about you know, I wrote it on his birthday and how I wanted to call him all day, but I didn't want to call him on his birthday because we hadn't like talked on the phone in a couple of years and I didn't want to like sure, sure. obligate him on his birthday and we'd see each other here and there and I got into a, uh, I had a nice little rhythm of seeing him, um, he was working at Revolution and I saw him in the kitchen and then uh, a couple of months later, I saw him by the monument in the afternoon with a with a tall boy in a paper bag, and I was mm-hmm. out there reading, and I was like, "Yeah, that's a Kyle move. Like, what's up, dude?" And it was always like, you know, he was doing good, also like, you know, annoyed that he had to live a life. Sure, sure. Doing a crappy job all the time, doing this and that, and. 
the last time I saw him, I was walking down California right at Armitage, and he was waiting for a bus, and it was the beginning of winter, and I was like, dude, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And he's like, not much out of here in month and a half. I'm moving to Denver or Boulder. I can't remember which sure, one it sure. was. And I was like, fuck yeah, dude. And he's like, yeah, I got people out there. Got things lined up. It's going to be good. And I'm like, fuck yeah. I really like the like frequency that we'd been seeing each other lately in those like kind of mm-hmm. you know happenstance circumstances. Quick, what's up? How are you? You know, whether it's five minutes or 20 yeah, yeah, yeah. minutes, it's good. And uh, a few months later, I went to Japan and came back. Um, you know, you've made that flight back. Yes. I got back at one in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, felt weird. Well, I, yeah, my flight back, I landed before the time I left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Weird feeling. Super weird. And then went to bed at 8 o'clock and woke up at 3 o'clock. And then was up from 3 to 7. And then 7 o'clock sat down in a chair and slept for five hours sitting up. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, what the fuck? What do I do with my day? So I drove to the grocery store. And I'm pulling in. And I feel my phone vibrating. And I I just missed the call as I'm pulling into a parking space. Now, f- maybe six months before, I'd deleted all my contacts. Sure. On accident. Put a thing on Facebook like, yo, send me like your name. So I got yeah, yeah, yeah. your number. I didn't get everybody's number. So I look at my phone and it's a missed call from my area code. And right below it, there's another missed call from a different number from my area code. And then I get another call from a different number from my area code and it's like all right who's gone yeah yeah and and it was kyle and or well it was my friend nick telling me that kyle had had killed himself and it's just all like uh like a weird blur just sitting there answering the call like knowing like Mm -hmm. just tell me just tell me and you know went in and i really don't remember i know that i like went into the grocery store Mm -hmm. and i probably bought like 12 dollars worth of groceries yeah and then drove home and and it was just like it was fucking it was like he's gone and this feeling of like one day you like you kind of knew what was going to happen mhm he just like he'd been in so many different depressive states in the time that I knew him. Yeah. And we went, I went out to the service and in Crystal Lake and Nick, 
her like surrogate older brother was a junior when I was a freshman and a senior when Kyle was a freshman they played in a band together mm-hmm. uh they lived together they'd fallen out and put it back together and then he read this song mm-hmm. and I'm just sitting there like I never I never uh never stopped with this one yeah um now it's it's Kyle's mm-hmm. and I we all went out after and I think that that feeling of of being like around people who want to understand and want to know what happened and what happened was he came home one night he had a lot to drink he had some ketamine in him and uh probably had some cocaine in him Mm -hmm. and that was it yeah bad night that was it i know you know we're all wish we called more wish wish he knew which is a that one's the tough one to hear yeah i wish that he knew yeah they always do they always do and it's not it's not up to them to decide otherwise because of how much you love them. Mm-hmm. You can really want them to not do what they end up doing. That's that's what you should hope. But it was fucking his call, man. Yeah, you never... As much as everyone wishes they could do something i think it's that interventionist idea never actually works if someone wants to do it it's you can't keep them from doing it you can't you can give them as much as you can Mm -hmm. but we are autonomous creatures and we have the ability to and that's not the space to tell people that yeah that's how you feel about something and I love every single person that was in that space with me dearly. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about all of them right now. And, you know, I know that some of them are listening to it. And I guess for me, it was just like, you know, I've, I've been in that spot. Mm-hmm. I don't drink anymore. And I'm glad that I don't drink anymore because I come home from a bad night. It's a lot easier to it's a lot easier to do something bad when you're not fully in control because mm-hmm. we're all sitting there like, well, yeah, and booze and ketamine and cocaine in him, and he just yeah. said, "Fuck it, this sucks. I'm out," and I fucking wish he hadn't. Yeah. I wish that he hadn't because I really miss bumping into him in in those spots. I miss 
thinking about driving to the IHOP in McHenry because it stayed open later. Mm -hmm. And the diners in Crystal Lake, most of the people that worked there were dicks. McHenry, we could go. Everybody was cool. We didn't have to see people from our high school. We could smoke in there. And we could just do that. We could just do that all night. And, you know, it's not like... It's not like if things changed, we'd be fucking seeing each other once a week. It's not like if I'd call them, you know, it might have changed something, but it might not have. Yeah. You know, that's all you can do with that. Um, to be fully honest with you mm-hmm. and everyone out here who's listening, like we didn't we weren't planning on recording until we until i decided yesterday that i would be okay to record because four days ago i wanted to fucking die Mm -hmm. i just wanted to die and i had to i had to say like hey uh, jay you have to you gotta like hide some of the shit that's in the house right now yeah you gotta watch me take my medicine tonight Mm -hmm. i need to go to therapy tomorrow and i probably need to call my psychiatrist and i'm sitting in my psychiatrist's office and i'm like or my therapist's office and she's we're talking and and i'm just like i know this is gonna be fine but in two years it's gonna happen again yeah, it's gonna happen again, and she's like, "Yeah, but what if it doesn't?" You know, mm-hmm. and that's all it takes. Yeah, that's all it takes is for someone f- to step in and say, "Your lo- your conclusion that you're making right now is not a conclusion." Yeah, it can be better. Try doing this. Try, you know. The simple things. Go home and drink water and eat and yeah. exercise. Yeah, I mean. get home. Take a nap. That's the thing is, to, to that point, like the idea that it's a conclusion, that it's, it doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. It's it's a f- it's a f- effective in a moment. But to that point, like there's always something else. There's always something I haven't tried or haven't done or haven't experienced. And oh, that's what I always lean back on. Yeah. And sometimes it is just hearing that. Yeah. You know, it's like it, it it can be so difficult in the middle of it. And I think that's it's always so attractive to think that this is this is the solve. Right. Or I guess, you know, if, if, for me, it's like I have I have so many great people that love me and support me and you know i have younger siblings who i mean when it all comes down to it you know it's it's my partner and mm-hmm. it's my my brother and my sister who like i can't i can't leave them with that yeah like they got their shit yeah they gotta know that it's gonna be okay Mm -hmm. and 
sometimes setting the example feels so hard when you don't believe it mm-hmm. for me sometimes i just want to like remove my my control over it put myself in a position where if i don't take my meds for a week people will understand yeah he wasn't taking his medicine mm-hmm. and that's when that's when i have to speak up yeah. and say no don't think about this for 30 minutes straight yeah just say it just yeah. say if you have to if 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 i have to say that like somebody has to watch me take these that's okay you're Mm -hmm. fucking surviving yes and that is not easy it's not always easy but it's okay to ask and it's okay to just admit when you need a hand when you need assistance Mm -hmm. i wish that i wish that kyle was in a position where he was able to think about things twice yeah and i mean to that point everyone's experience with those things is is so different and so multifaceted and so unique and i think people like to people like to paint these topics with a very broad brush right and i completely understand why someone doesn't want to articulate it yeah. For a multitude of reasons. But the one thing that I always want to tell people is that's the, again, I think a lot of it goes back to internalized shame and fear and anxiousness that so much of society is put on talking about these things and like not wanting to burden people or feeling weak or feeling inadequate. And I'm like, that's the strongest thing you can do is just saying it. Yeah. I don't feel good today. Yeah. That's okay to say. It's yeah and necessary the thing is like you know we were talking about doing this a few days ago i didn't know the score at the time you told me and i will tell you uh what i told you then which is whatever you need whenever you need it period Mm -hmm. i don't care what it is yeah that goes for you that goes for anyone in my life that goes for anyone who needs someone in a moment Whatever you need, whenever you need it, however you need it, period. Absolutely. You know, it's, I I, want to go back to your experience of of hearing this song played live and and share my own. Um, I went to see Stove Mm -hmm. within a week of it happening. And you know that build at the end of Wet Food? Yes. I just close my eyes and I have no, there's no Kyle connection to this band, but just everything in that dynamic that was happening right there and that sound of that last, Mm -hmm. the last 20 seconds of that song and just the thought that I had right there was Kyle would fucking love this band. Mm -hmm. This is a, this is a, a band that is 
doing something that goes back to the things that we liked when we were in high school we both love the alkaline trio for sure but i remember my friend elena telling a story of of her listening to a disc man and kyle coming up to it opening it from here to infirmary or god damn it was in there and then he took it out and put something else from her book in that was like in the back and he's like you should listen to this mm-hmm. you've listened to that yeah that idea that there's always something yes there's no chance i would have brought him to that stove show but the idea of mm-hmm. this is happening yep. it's always happening there's always something new there's always going to be a better day there's always going to be a day that happens where you are not thinking about how great it is to be on this planet Mm -hmm. harness those remember them they're there they're always gonna be there there's always fucking puppy gifts Mm -hmm. and there's always the things that got you through the bad times and there's going to be new things that get you through the times after that. Yesterday was the first time that I worked in five days. I was by myself roasting coffee. I put on Hello Bastards, Jersey's Best Dancers, yep. self-titled Lifetime. I just fucking pumped my fists. I had so much fun doing an activity, doing something that made me feel good, that made me feel like I had a purpose all that shit comes back to you even when you feel like it's not going to it's always going to be there and there's always going to be something new for you to feel even better about i would say as a 32 year old person even the 32 year old who just had to go through something for the ninth time in my life i feel better now than i've ever felt in my life and that's not just a post haze Mm -hmm. feeling good getting older is great i agree i uh just had a birthday i'm older than i ever thought i would be happy happy birthday thank you david but this is what i tell everyone is uh it's i'm more thankful for this than anything else because it's the oldest i've ever been it's the smartest i've ever been Ideally, it's the best I've ever been. And hopefully tomorrow, that's the best me that there's ever been. If I can keep that motion, that's what matters. Yep. And if you fucking need to stop and take a break and put your feet up and just curl into a warm blanket, that's okay too. Agreed. Just make sure that you're letting people know that you're around, that you're there, that you're present, and that you're there for them. Yep. So... What do you rate this song, David? Mm, yeah, boy. Really, uh, really highlights the uh, the brain. impermanence of all this. Five yeah. out of five. Easy. Done. I'll take it five out of five. Um, hey, if you're out there and you're listening, um, we're really glad that you uh, joined us today, yes. that you stuck with it, or you decided to come back. Um, we hope that this is the type of sharing that is good for everybody to hear. Um, it felt good coming out. It felt productive and that's what I wanted. 
Yeah. And I hope that if you uh, if you have a story you want to share, if you have something you just want to talk about, we've got an email. Uh, my email's on my Twitter. Hit us up. We're around. Um, that's the point of this. That's why we do this. That's why we started doing this. And these episodes are going to come up, and we want you to know that I imagine there's a lot of people who have similar circumstances, maybe not relating to the song, but it's what brought them here. And we care about you. Very much so. This has been um, a very, very fulfilling uh, year and change of of doing this and, and having people come in because not only because they enjoy the conversation, be because we all kind of share in this experience of finding finding this band and you know finding a band that maybe helped us feel like we stood out from you mm-hmm. know the rest of the the posers in the world or the jocks or you know this is this is something that comes and hits you at a hard time no matter what we all feel like um you know we all feel so connected david and i feel so connected to um everyone who who hits us up and who uh, gives us feedback for it and shares and that's important it's deeply meaningful and we thank you very much for it we'll be back next week um, we're going to try and find an even heavier song to talk about then. yeah it'll be great uh, don't you worry <laughs> that episode will be two and a half hours we'll see you then thanks fellas <laughs>